Good morning, Faith family. How's everybody doing? I want to say hello to those in Lakeville and our venue. Invite all of you, if you would, turn to the book of Jude uh, towards the back of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. Uh, this morning, we continue in our series uh, that we started two weeks ago called Contend. And this is just week two uh, because many of you will remember what happened last week, okay? And, and a lot of you were not here for that. And so we felt it was, what a difference a week makes, am I right? Um, we thought it was best last week to pull the Contend series because we knew so many people were going to be uh, out and a lot of our services were canceled. And so uh, you didn't miss anything if you weren't here last week. And so we're going to pick up with round two of our Contend series. And if, you, if you're new with us, what we talked about is the fact, everybody knows this, there are things in life that are just worth fighting for. You know this, the family's worth fighting for, freedom's worth fighting for. Well, as Christians, our faith is worth fighting for. Now, if you're uncomfortable with that terminology of uh, fighting, uh, what we've defined this as is we're not talking about fist fights. We're not talking about anything that's physical. We're talking about standing firm in the gospel. We're talking about being the kind of people that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will stand that ground and we will fight for our faith. Now, as your pastor and spiritual trainer, bless your heart, uh, I have to tell you uh, that you're not ready to just jump in the ring, okay? You don't just, and a lot of new Christians are like, yeah, let's go fight, man. We'll just start throwing punches. No, 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 you're not ready. You got to prepare for the fight. And there are specific things that you need to have and do before you ever step in the ring. And so we talked about those four things. Here they are again. First of all, you got to put on humility. Uh, this fight's not about you. It's not about your glory and your name and how impressive you can be. Jude says, if you want to know my status, here's my status. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. My life is not about me. It's all about Jesus. You got to put on humility. Secondly, uh, you got to know your identity. Uh, Jude says you are called and loved in God and kept for Jesus Christ. You got to know who you are because if you step in that ring and you're not secure in your identity, you won't last. You have to know that regardless of what anybody says about you, God has already had that final word. Amen. I'm going to preach before I start preaching, all right? The third thing is you got to know the enemy's strategy. We talked about the fact that the enemy loves the sneak punch. The way it's described in the text is certain people have crept in. The enemy always comes at you in a way you didn't expect it. The enemy always loves, loves to twist things that are good into a way that makes them not of God. It's always subtle. So you got to be aware of that sneak punch. Fourthly is you got to be assured of victory. Uh, you don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. Jude will end the letter by saying of Jesus that all dominion and authority before all time, now and forever, belongs to him. Here's the good news. This is great news, faith family. Whatever happens in the ring, Jesus reigns. Whatever happens in the ring, Jesus reigns. The pressure is not on you to perform, just contend. He is our victory. Okay? So that was week one. You're like, why didn't you just give us that version two weeks ago? It would have been a lot shorter. So that's week one. You got to prepare for the fight. You're not ready to get in the ring until you've prepared for the fight. But now you got to get in the ring. 
Now you actually have to contend. And what I want to show you now is why contending is not an, it's not an option for you. You must, as a Christian, contend for the faith. Let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. We're not going to get past the first four verses again, but that's okay. We're in no rush. Look here at Jude 1. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints." For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Please pray for me as I try to faithfully preach God's Word uh, to us this morning. let's, Let's bow in prayer. God, we do ask that you would talk to us and speak to us now from your Word. We really do need this challenge. It's very easy uh, to slip into laziness in our faith and forget that there's actually a calling on our life and a command to contend. And so I pray that you would wake us up and challenge us about the fight of faith that you've called us to. And we pray to the glory of Jesus and his glory alone this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, man, that guy just died. They were the chilling words of a teenager as he and his friends stood at the edge of the water and watched a man drown. Jamel Dunn was a 32-year-old disabled man who went swimming in a retention pond in Cocoa, Florida. When he drifted out a little too far, he started crying out for help for the teenagers that were there on the bank. But they not only did not respond, they laughed. They started to mock him. All the while recording this man's final moments, this man's final cries for help on their cell phone. Jamel's body was discovered three days later. No one even knew the teenagers were even there until the cell phone video surfaced on social media causing a public outrage and a police investigation. After the police finished their interviews, they determined this, and I quote, the kids were at the park and saw the man walk into the water. When he started to struggle and scream for help, they just laughed. They didn't call the police. They didn't call 911. They didn't tell anybody. They just stood there and laughed. Now, the kicker of it all is that while their response may be very morally reprehensible, it's actually perfectly legal. 
You can go all the way back to a 1920s very famous case in America where a man fell off a pier and drowned while a sunbather just a few yards away watched the whole thing happen and did nothing. When the family of the deceased man discovered this, they filed a suit against the man that just watched, but they lost. The state determined of the man who was just watching this, and I quote, he was under no obligation to act. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy has said in a 2012 case, quote, you don't have the duty to rescue someone if that person is in danger. If a blind man is walking in front of a car, uh, you do not have the duty to stop him. While there may be severe moral criticisms, that is the law. When asked about that law as it relates to Jamel's case, the mayor of Cocoa, Florida said this, Quote, never in my life would I have thought we would need a law to make someone take action. There's a reason why there was outrage over that story. There's a reason why every one of us knows that that's wrong, that you don't just stand there and do nothing. And the reason is, is because every one of us deep down knows that it is wrong to do nothing when something important is on the line. Amen? You can't just stand there. You got to do something. You see an elderly person taken advantage of? You see a child that's in need. You see that somebody's been in an automobile accident. You see that someone needs your help. You do something. Something. It may not be the law of the land that holds you responsible, but the Bible does. Jude's brother, James, says this in James 4, 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Faith family, I love you. I'm your pastor. I'm your spiritual trainer. And this is what I'm telling you this morning. It's wrong to do nothing when something important is on the line. That is exactly why Jude writes this letter Look at verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to do something, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I don't want you to stand there on the shoreline of culture and watch truth drown before your eyes. I love you. And I'm right. I wanted to talk about this common salvation. I wanted to have a series on the beautiful uh, reality of grace, but I got to write you to say this do something. Because you can't just stand there and watch it slip away. Complacency has no place at all in Christianity. Jude says, and he's going to give us four reasons why. You got to get in the ring. Brian, you got to get in the ring. You got to prepare first. But just like you don't get in the ring without preparing, you don't prepare all your life and never get in the ring. You must contend. And over the next three hours, I'm going to tell you four reasons why. 
one day, how I wish. Four reasons that we got to get in the ring, that we got to contend. Here's number one. We contend because there is a faith to contend for. We contend because there is a faith to contend for. Now, let me show you how all this I trust is from the text. Do you notice that phrase in verse three that says to contend for the faith, the faith? When we use the word faith, we tend to use it as a verb. Everybody, so, so fill in the blank, Lakeville venue, everybody. Walk by faith. Uh, take a step of faith. We usually use that word faith as a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. That's not how Jude is using the word faith. He's using it as a noun. It's the faith. That is, he's talking about a, a system of belief. He's talking about uh, doctrine. He's talking about truth. And both, faith family, are necessary. Uh, put it this way. Notice it on the screen. A Christian is someone that has faith in the faith. A Christian is someone that has faith in the faith. That is, we believe, verb, in the truth, noun, of the Christian faith. That's what a Christian is. And this idea of there being the faith, uh, a truth, the doctrine of Christianity, we see it throughout the New Testament. Let me give you a few examples. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or teaching. Uh, Galatians 1.6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 and following, now I remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, I delivered to you of a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. First Peter chapter one, verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Last one, Ephesians four, verse 11 and following. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain, everybody Lakeville venue, say this with me, till we all obtain the unity of the faith. The point? There is a Christian faith. And if you are a Christian, you believe it. You are Christian. I'm, 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 I'm your spiritual trainer. I'm getting in your grill. I'm getting in your face this morning. At your very core of being a Christian is this. You believe in something. Y'all with me this morning? You believe in something. You're not a Christian if you don't hold to the faith. You say, Pastor, I'm just not really one of those doctrine kind of people. I, I get real uncomfortable with doctrine. I'm kind of more of that personal relationship with Jesus type Christian. Uh, to which I would say to you, you're not a Christian. Pastor, I don't really like that you said that. Sweetheart, I don't really care, all right? <laughs> a Christian somebody that has faith in the faith. I'll give you an example. I, I think I shared this like 
four years ago, so nobody remembers it. Um, a, a mentor of mine was at a conference one time, and he found some Bible study materials that was advocating a lifestyle that's clearly condemned in Scripture. And so he walked up to the table, and he asked, he was like, how are you able to encourage this and endorse this when the Bible condemns it? The lady at the table said, well, that's the difference between me and you. The Bible is your authority, and Jesus is mine. But what, what do you know about Jesus that you don't know from the Bible? To which she said, I know what every little boy and girl learned in vacation Bible school. I know this. Jesus loves me. This I know. To which she said, you're right. For the Bible tells you so. <laughs> in other words, you say you believe in Jesus. Which one? What Jesus do you believe in? Everybody listen to me. How you answer that question is doctrine. I believe in the Jesus that is God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, was resurrected on the third day, is seated at the right hand of God. That's doctrine. You're not a Christian if you don't have faith in the faith. You have to believe personally in the right thing to be a Christian. That's what Jude is saying. There is a Christian faith to contend for. Now, you might ask, what are these doctrines? Let me take just a very brief moment and say, give you some idea of what we're talking about. I, I, I talk a lot about theological triage. Many of you have heard me talk about this before. Some of you haven't, but let, let me share this with you. So you notice on the screen, when we think about doctrine, you need to think about it in terms of triage, that not all doctrine is at the same level. So for instance, there are what we might call third level issues, and these are things that we just agree to disagree on. Uh, you know, you, you believe end times are going to go this way, and certain gifts may or may not continue, and we can have those conversations, but nobody's going to look at each other and say, well, you're not a Christian because we disagree. No, no, no. Christians have room to disagree on those things. Second-level issues tend to be what divide denominations. Uh, it may be what you believe about baptism, what you believe about the Lord's Supper, things like that. Uh, these are things we still would not look at another person and say, you're not a Christian. We would just say, because our disagreement on this issue uh, is uh, uh, severe enough, we're not going to be able to be a part of the same church. Because when it comes to baptism, our differing of opinion are polar ends. Do you see? But you're still a Christian. I'm still a Christian. We still have Christian fellowship with one another. Is everybody with me? What we're talking about is that first level issue, the, high, the top shelf, those things that are essential to Christianity. That is, if you don't have that, you don't have Christianity. Things like the Trinity, like the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man, the virgin birth, that Jesus lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, that he physically walked out of the grave, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, and there is no other way, no other name by which we can be saved. Humanity was created in God's image. We are born in sin and need salvation that that salvation is by grace through faith alone and not of works, that the Word of God is the inspired Word of God, and Jesus one day will come back, and you will either spend eternity with Him or eternity without Him. That's core Christianity. That's the faith 
that has been entrusted and delivered to the saints. Now, I say all that to make this point. We don't fight for everything. We fight for the main thing. Can I get an amen? Okay? Because there's a lot of Christians that like to fight about everything. I can tell from your response, you know one. I'm just hoping you're not one, all right? Uh, we don't fight for... We do, healthy, mature Christians do triage. That's gospel. That's the heart of Christianity. I got to fight that fight. That's important, but not gospel-centered. I, I'm not going to fight with you over that. We can agree to disagree and still have Christian fellowship. You with me? Lakeville venue, you with me? Reason number one you got to get in the ring is because there is a faith to contend for. And by the very nature of you being a Christian, you believe in it. Number two, not only do we contend because there is a faith to contend for, we contend because this faith is worth contending for. Where is this in the text? Let me show you. Verse three, uh, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, some of your translations uh, may say the word entrusted to the saints. Uh, that really is the idea of the word. I, I, I did a, a word study on that Greek word and found that there's a parallel passage uh, in Paul uh, when he writes to Timothy that uses that same root word. Here it is. Notice it on uh, the screen. This is 2 Timothy 1, 13. And 14. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit, what? Entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It's the same idea in Jude. In other words, Jude and Paul are saying this, everybody, you have been entrusted with the gospel. You have had it delivered to you. You have been given something that is extremely valuable. You have been given the truth of God. Now, everybody in some way has had this feeling before of being entrusted with something that's very, very valuable. For some of you, it was that feeling uh, the day you became a parent and you were entrusted with a human life, that a human being was entrusted to your uh, uh, guardianship, which is why you wrapped it in bubble wrap every time it wanted to go out and play, right? <laughs> you wanted to take care of it. Or, or maybe you, you, you took a job and you realized that you had been entrusted with students, entrusted with developing others, entrusted with managing a team, entrusted with pastoring a church. Or maybe you received an inheritance where somebody that, that loved you and you loved them and your family entrusted something to you when they passed and you wanted to steward that wisely. Is everybody with me? You've had that feeling before of being entrusted with something of great value. Christian, please let this sink in. You have been entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's been given to you to guard the good deposit of faith, to treasure 
it. Here's what uh, Proverbs 3, uh, verse 13 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing, nothing, nothing you desire can compare to her. Do you believe that, Christian? Let's just stop for a minute. Evaluate your heart. Can you really say that there's nothing in your life, not your kids, not your money, not your, there's nothing you cherish more than the fact that you have been entrusted with the best news in the world? Here's why that's so important. You ready? Because you're going to contend for what you cherish most. You're going to contend for what you cherish most. And if you don't believe this is true, you watch how mama responds anytime somebody gets close to her baby, right? Here's somebody trying to take baby from mama, and mama's about to contend, right? Mama's not going to have any of this. That right there is exactly what it means to contend for something you value, amen? Don't mess with my baby, all right? Are you ready? What this means, faith family, is our unwillingness to contend for the faith is nothing more than our not cherishing the faith. You don't realize what you've been given. You don't have a clue as to God's grace in your life by giving you his word. You think it's amazing that you've been entrusted with a human being? You've been entrusted with the words of life. And if you really get that, if you understand the value, oh, greater than jewels and rubies and gold and nothing that you could ever desire compares to the word of God, then you will contend for it. I might as well get in trouble. Why not? I know a lot of Christians that will contend for a political party. Oh, no, he didn't. Sure did. I know a lot of Christians that will contend for a music style. I know a lot of Christians that will contend for just about anything but the gospel. And I just, I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you. Please make sure you're cherishing the right thing. Because brother, sister, you weren't entrusted with a music style. And our kingdom's not of this world. The thing you've been entrusted with is the good news. Cherish it. Why do we have to get in the ring? Because there's a faith to contend for. And that faith is precious. It has been entrusted to us. Here's the third reason. We contend because the faith can be forgotten. We contend because the faith can be forgotten. I take this from verse 4. It's the whole reason why Jude is writing this letter. You'll notice the ground, the word for, in verse 4. For certain people have crept in. Here's why you contend. Because certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say more next week on what the false teaching is in this book, assuming we don't have a blizzard, okay? <laughs> so, assuming… never mind. Um, 
I'll talk about it next week, Lord willing. All I want to say here is that the reason why Jude is writing with such urgency, the reason why there's such passion the, uh, that he's calling these Christians to contend is this. He knows passivity is the pathway to apostasy. If you do nothing, eventually you will have nothing. You will wake up five years from now and it'll be what gospel? If you don't contend for the true faith now, a false faith will gladly creep in and take its place. I'll say it this way. If you don't contend, something else is going to creep in. And if you don't believe me, check the stats of Christianity in America. If you don't believe me, check the stats of the teenage dropout rate after high school in churches. If you don't believe me, study just a little bit of church history of places in the world that used to be centers that were thriving with the gospel that have now grown cold towards the gospel. D.A. Carson says it this way, the first generation has the gospel. The second generation assumes the gospel. And the third generation loses the gospel. Al Mohler writes, any church or Christian organization that considers a confession of faith an imposition will eventually and inevitably abandon the gospel. Berean, listen. Piece by piece, doctrine by doctrine, God's truth is compromised until there's very little resemblance of the treasure that's been handed down from the apostles to us. The deposit of truth is drawn down to emptiness and silence. I shared at our Parent You event a few months ago uh, a story that happened in the life of Gregory Hines. Some of you may recognize him, famous actor, uh, dancer, uh, Hollywood star, and he was very influenced by um, Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. was kind of a mentor of his in many ways. And at Sammy Davis Jr.'s funeral, uh, Hines tells the story of the last visit that he made um, to see Sammy Davis before he died. And they sat together and embraced and, and hugged and knew this was going to be the last moment together. Hines said his words and he got up and he started to walk out the door. And as he got close to the door, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. couldn't talk. He had throat cancer. And uh, as he got to the door, he heard some rumbling. Like somebody was getting up. And he turned and looked. And sure enough, Sammy Davis Jr., with hardly any strength in his body, stands up props himself up against his chair, looks straight at Hines, can't say a word because of the throat cancer, and just goes. Hines knew exactly what Sammy Davis Jr. was doing in that moment. He was passing it on. He was passing it on. 
Talk to your pastor for just a moment. Do you want to have happen at Berean what has happened in so many other churches in America? Parents, grandparents, do you want this to continue to happen to the next generation? Then do something. Don't just stand there. Truth is on the line. You can't stand there and do nothing, parent, grandparent, church. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to get your gospel motivated to believe what you believe. To know that this is bigger than church. And it has everything to do with the next generation. You assume it now, it won't be here tomorrow. That's what Jude say. You say you're getting passionate. Yeah, I'm getting passionate because it matters. It's why Jude says, I wanted to write to you about something else, but I had to change course because something's valuable on the line. And if you don't contend for it, something's going to creep in against it. That's the kind of Christian I want you to be. You got to get in the ring. It's too valuable. It's too precious. It's been entrusted to you. Don't just stand there. There is a faith to contend for. And that faith is worth contending for. And if we don't contend for it, it will be forgotten. And you say, well, that sounds like your job description, Pastor. And I would agree with you if it weren't for the Bible. (laughs) It's my gift of sarcasm coming in there, all right? You see, this is what I think some of you would say at this point. Um, Well, yeah, this is what pastors are supposed to do and seminary professors. But who does Jude write this letter to? Look at it. Verse 1, to the pastors. Eh. To the elders, wrong. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to who? To those who are called, that is, remember week one, salvation, loved in God, kept for Jesus Christ. In other words, to Christians. Verse three, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our what salvation? A salvation that we all share. Common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I wish I had time to to really unpack how this is at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. You realize that in the Middle Ages, the only people that could read the Bible, do ministry, uh, all those things were like the, the professional priests. I mean, there was a day when you would have no Bible in your language. And only certain few were allowed to do ministry. 
And, and then people like Wycliffe in England said, not a chance. People need to have the Bible where they can read it in their own language. And Huss and Bohemia said, not a chance. The Pope doesn't have authority over the Bible. The Bible has authority over the Pope. And, 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 and Luther in Germany said, I can't stand this separation between church officials and the common man. It's the priesthood of all believers. And Calvin in Geneva, who set up a training base for men and women to understand and be taught the Word of God. The point is this. At the heart of Jude, at the heart of the Protestant Reformation was this. The faith wasn't entrusted to a select few. It was entrusted to all the saints. This is a calling we all share. And I'm going to ask you this. Lakeville venue, everybody look right here. If not you, who? If not you, who? Four things we need to walk with. You're like, four things? He ain't got time for that. (laughs) Four things I want you to walk away from this morning, okay? Very quickly, number one is believe the truth. Believe the truth. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you have never had faith in the faith, I call you, based on the Word of God, to turn from your sin and believe the gospel message. It starts there. And some of you do not even believe. And today, I plead with you, as the apostles pleaded in the book of Acts, repent and believe the truth of the gospel. Number two is grow in the truth. Grow in the truth. I refuse to let our church be shallow. Okay, I'm a, I don't have time for a soapbox, but I'm going to get it on anyways. Um, this idea that there are certain churches out there that are really good for Christians that have only been a Christian about a year or two. And then there are those churches out there, they're really good for Christians that have been Christians for like 10 years or more. And where is that in the Bible? There shouldn't be room in any church to allow anybody to be lazy with truth. As your spiritual trainer and pastor, I will, because I love you, get in your face and say, get in the word. Gather for worship. What's, what's the second one? Grow in the word. You're going to have a hard time um, contending for something that you don't know. So make doctrine a part of your devotion. Don't give me, well, I'm not much of a reader. Well, then you don't understand what you've been entrusted with. Grow in the Word. Make a commitment today to say, as a part of getting in the ring, i got to grow in my understanding of the truth. Number three is speak the truth. Speak the truth. So believe the truth, grow in it, and then you've got to speak it. The Bible says be ready in season and out of season. Uh, There's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they're going to have itching ears and they're going to accumulate people that will tell them what they want to hear. Uh, You got to be the kind of person that's willing to speak it even when it's not popular, okay? You got to get over this, like, all I do is lifestyle evangelism, which is this idea of, you know, um, people are going to see how I shovel my driveway and they're going to fall on their knees and cry holy, 
My lawn is going to be so manicured and beautiful. People are going to just come to my doorstep and say, tell me about Jesus. Hogwash. Nonsense. You don't contend without words. And I'm all for, I'm not downplaying lifestyle evangelism. I'm only saying if that's your only approach, you've missed an entire necessity of actually telling somebody the good news. Speak the truth. But lastly, speak it in love. Speak it in love. Uh, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In other words, uh, I refuse to train you to be a Mike Tyson kind of fighter, okay? I'm not training jerks for Jesus here. And a lot of you know Christians that fight like that, right? They bite ears and they play dirty and there's no sense of love at all. Contend without being contentious. Don't let your lifestyle contradict what your lips are trying to say. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. So faith family, before you get in the ring, you got to do what? Put on humility. You got to know your identity. You got to understand the enemy's strategy, and you've got to be absolutely assured of victory. But listen Everybody right here. But at some point, you got to get in the ring. It's not an option. It's your command and calling as a Christian. You can't stand there and do nothing all your life. It's the reason why stories like Jamel's outrage people. Because we all know that when something important is on the line, inaction is unacceptable. And we of all Christians know this to be true because you and I were dead in the water of sin. And God, praise him, did not stand in heaven and laugh. He did something out of love. The Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died. The Bible says no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Faith family, we contend, not because it's the good thing to do, but because it is the gospel thing to do. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word to us this morning. What a challenging message. We are called to contend. I pray this morning if there's somebody here that's, that is yet to believe the truth, that this morning that your spirit would be drawing them now as they would turn from their sin and believe the gospel. There are others in this place this morning that they know good and well. They've been over in the corner for far too long. It's time to get in the ring. It doesn't mean being a jerk. It doesn't mean not being loving. It just means you're not ashamed anymore. That you actually believe something. And you're willing to share that. You're willing to stand firm in that. 
Oh God, that you would give us the grace and strength this morning to contend for the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.